This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I am one of your co-hosts, Don Banks, joined by Nick Stevens, your other co-host. Nick. I'll be playing the part of Nick Stevens this week. 99 days we have until September 6th, which is Falcons at Eagles. Uh, that's a fairly 99 new, days. Fi- fairly new uh, phenomena that we start going 100 days in. It's almost right. like a uh, presidential's first 100 100- a presidential terms first hundred day, but ninety nine days. It still feels a long, long way off. Uh, training camps will spring to life, obviously uh, late July, um, but basically we're at three months and holding. But it's funny because this is the time of the year where other sports generally hold our interest. And I want to start today's podcast, which, by the way, we will be joined later by former Patriot. Matt Chatham. You know his work on Nesson. You know Patriots This Week uh, has his own football Patriots podcast. We'll let him tell you a little bit about it as well. Um, he's going to be our guest in a little bit here, but I wanted to talk a little bit Celtics off the top. I, uh, As you know, I, I sucked it up. My wife and I went Sunday night for Game 7, which was really mm-hmm. cool to take in the whole atmosphere. Um, was it, was it, it was, wasn't a cheap date, but you know what? Not a cheap like you date. said, got to live a little. I mean, yeah. When when are you often available for a game seven? One with the kind of juice that one had yeah. heading in. Could have been LeBron's last game ever in his second go round in Cleveland. Uh, my question is: Is there anything more deflating than a home loss in in a game seven, especially when a when a trip, you know, to the championship round is on the line? Deflating is the word that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, people limped. Out of the garden late. Sunday yeah, what night. what was the feeling with the Pats? Excuse me, with the. See, yeah. you said you said deflating, and then you got Patriots on the mind. Of course, I'm surrounded by all Patriots imagery. What was the feeling headed out of the garden? Given that the seas were up twelve in the second yeah. quarter, Cleveland was playing the way you know full Dennis Green voice. They were who we thought they were. <laughs> we let him off the damn hook. And we let him off the hook. So. I, I still. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. I think that's a game the Celtics should have won. Well, that's it. That people must have been so missed opportunity. Bummed. Yeah, and the fact that it was you thirty-two know, they, missed opportunities. They finally looked like they weren't up for the moment, and they had, you know, taken care of business at home all postseason ten and zero, which makes it all the more tougher to swallow this loss coming at the exact worst time. They finally looked a little young, other than Jason Tatum, who was an absolute beast. And they finally looked like they just couldn't quite handle the spotlight when they looked over and saw LeBron lined up against him. It just it just felt like so close and yet so far. Right. That and, they that they panicked and sort of went into maybe not panicked but sort of they went choked. I mean, they, they choked. couldn't hit they, any shots. A little hero ball started. Yeah, the last six minutes were just, yeah, it was brutal. Throw it in the ocean. Off of the, it, it was the, brutal. The worst sequence was the one three minutes left. I think they're down about With four or smart six. Smart got the rebound. Yeah, yeah they, they rebound off missed the free throw. throw. Yeah. 
They hit three. one of those threes that they kick it out for, and the whole game could have shifted it, right yeah, there. Even if they shoot, and what were they, seven for 39? Seven for 39. If they shoot 30% from three. Oh, no, Don. If 25%. They, Don, if they shot less than, if they shot just over 20, 25%, if they went 10 for 39, that's either a tie game or they win. All yeah. they do is make three. Terry Rozier, 0 for 10 from three. Yeah. Smart and Rozier combined on the night shooting on general, three for 24. It so, was just brutal. It was it was hard to take. Um, I will say this: I was, I was glad I went. It was a it was a big event. It it felt like um, it could have been a an absolute blast of a party to be there, and it it didn't. You know, the last the last act didn't happen. Here's what I want to know: We all now are going like, oh no, Cavs Warriors yet again, fourth in a row. Why are we not appreciating the history of? the first time in professional sports that two teams have met four times in a row in the championship. Why are we not saying this is one of the greatest rivalries in modern sports history and appreciating it instead of saying, please, you know, dear God, another LeBron versus Curry? I don't know how you feel, Don, Kevin, but I think it's last year that took the excitement out of it. Like I think the win was the sucked mismatch. out of the sales because of the Durant factor. Okay, so 2015 they match up. Goes four two Warriors. Novel. Yep, first time they've met up. I mean, we're, we've got LeBron fatigue the same way I think the NFL has Tom Brady and Patriots fatigue always in the finals. What they're doing right now is parallel. I mean, it, it's it's. I think it's a clear. And Doesn't it give you a view of parallel. what it must feel like to be an NFL fan who's not a Patriots fan? Yep, sure okay. does. But I don't apologize for it because I love watching my team go to the conference, if not league finals, it, every year. But 2015 was good. They won that great second game. They almost won the first game. They win. Cleveland wins the second game in Golden State, and we think, okay, undermanned Cavs, but series on. Goes 4-2 Warriors. 2016, epic, epic. series. The epic. Father's Day finish. That game seven was with the block on Iguodala. City one of, of the City most of enjoyable. Curse. Unbelievable. One of the truly the most unbelievable NBA games and one of the most fun I've had watching basketball ever. <laughs> and it almost became the ultimate Cleveland year because – we reversed the 3-1. The Indians were up 3-1 on right. the Cubs later on that year. It was last year. Last year's finals kind of sucked. Okay. They so one out of three have not really lived up to expectations. And now he's got. Now he's bringing le a lesser team. Yeah, now he's bringing less talent. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. That's yeah. just my opinion. Yeah. We're not even talking about the, yeah, the, the West, 300 versus. The whole West Finals, I was thinking, this is the finals. You know, this is the NBA Finals between the Rockets and the Warriors. When Chris Paul got hurt, we were all done. Because whatever team, I was like, whatever team comes out of the East, I think is going to be a sacrificial lamb. I felt that way for the last month. So that leads into Demarius Randall, <laughs> the new Browns defensive back, former Packer, who helped me out with the details here. I thought it was pretty clear he was he's rooting for the Warriors, and he basically taunted people on Twitter saying that the Cavs can't win or they won't win. said if the Cavs win, everyone who RTs this, I'm going to buy a, a, jersey. a Cavs jersey. But he's board. rooting for the Warriors. He wants the Warriors to win. That's not a good—okay, not a great week for a lot of people on social media. You know who I'm talking <laughs> about. But maybe if you— want to ingratiate yourself into in the, new the new city and the new fan base. You don't I'm not talking him. like Jalen Brown saying he was rooting for A.J. Bouye to intercept Tom Brady in the AFC Championship. I thought that was a little on the edge, but hey, he's a couple years in now. But first year in to the struggling, starving fan base, maybe don't root for the other team and then be like, why, there's so little chance I'll buy everyone that RTs this a Cavs jersey. That's what he was saying. There's so little chance that I can 
guarantee you a jersey if the Cavs win because they're not winning. At last count, it was at sixty nine thousand retweets. I I'm sure now it's probably at last close to count. 100. It's it's. I think it's you know even at, at someone said Pro Football Talk. I think said at ten dollars a pop, you can't get a jersey at ten dollars a pop. It would be past his career earning level pre tax in the NFL. So clearly this this is not a bet that's going to be paid off. But oh, bad news, it's at seven hundred and twenty thousand retweets. But and the big but is he has the Warriors. Correct. Oh, yeah. He has the Warriors. Gotta have him. So somebody needed to boy, <laughs> well you need a Twitter editor there, that uh, type of oh, situation. Oh first guy ever to need a Twitter editor. Yeah. I to know. speak out on social media. Uh real quick, let's go around the horn. Uh Prediction for the finals. Uh, I say Warriors in six, and that's probably generous. Warriors in four. Warriors in five. All right. Somehow Cle- Cleveland wins. I think Cleveland sucks. Cle- that's not a very good team. Can we just be honest? That is not. To watch Jeff Green have the game yeah. of his life in game Show seven. Show you how bad the East was. I didn't think the Celtics would get out of the first round. Yeah, Milwaukee Kyrie. was tough. I really, I really didn't. I thought you have no playmaker in the last right. three minutes of a game that can make his own shot under pressure consistently. Right. And you're talking about that team, that Celtics team that was a shell of what it was designed to be, mm-hmm. was within six minutes of mediocre basketball of the NBA Finals. All they had That's to do was bad. play six That's more minutes of the Eastern yeah. Conference. Was. The Eastern Conference was really Because let's not bad. forget. Cleveland, for as bad as the Celtics played the last six minutes of that quarter, Cleveland didn't exactly run away. No, they with had 87 it. points in they, the game, correct? Cleveland let the Celtics hang around, and yeah. the Celtics were like one missed three away from the, the well, momentum completely changing. First, first the Celtics let Cleveland hang around, correct. and then and then it flipped. But still, you know, it is Two bad a, teams fighting over a snow cone. It is a very bright future, and you could see it because you saw the way Tatum, Jason Tatum played. You have to believe. Uh, with uh, Hayward and, and uh, Kyrie back next year, it's a different story. However, you gotta you gotta roll that rock back up the hill. You know, you don't you don't just throw uh, your uh, your gym shorts on the court and win fifty five and get back to Game Seven of the Conference Finals. Nah, it doesn't work that way. So, anyway, um, anybody paying attention to the Stanley Cup Final? I I kind of. No, kept one I eye on the honest. first game the other night, but I don't know. To me, that feels bogus seeing a, an expansion team there right away. I, I'm just not. I'm old school enough to think you should have to. But earn don't something. sports fans like the idea that Vegas is a relevant sports city right off the bat? That you can that you don't have to languish as a startup team. Yeah, and uh, the fans out there are kind of charged. So at least it's providing a new dynamic environment as opposed to like. Caps. Well, no, no. Caps are a great story now. Yeah. The okay, Caps cap- have been trying to slay this particular dragon for a long, long time. time. Right. The whole, you know, we Ovechkin, haven't seen Ovechkin in a fun. I know the whole Ovechkin. It's a era. hell of a game seven win for them on the road in Tampa. Yeah, I just feel like somehow that the actual final feels a little anticlimactic because either going to get a first year franchise or the Caps are going to rally mm-hmm. yet again, and it'll be it'll be a great story for the people, the fans, the long-suffering fans of Washington. And the long-suffering fans of Las Vegas. You know, just this past minute where we talked uh, NHL finals, that's the most hockey talk that's taken place in Massachusetts in a week. I know. Weeks and weeks and weeks. Well, we're actually going to talk some NFL because this is uh, ostensibly an NFL-centric podcast. Um, Were you surprised to see the Patriots come out as the FPI index favorite? Vegas has them on the board. How can you be surprised right? at anything like that? No, no. I, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, if they were one or two, 
you could make mm-hmm. the case either way, but I think you have to go with the track record. Right. Track record's there. Clearly, it has not been a typical offseason here in Foxborough, but I still think Vegas screens out a lot of that noise. Yeah, something about the something about the whole Cassius Marsh thing, and you know, we can ask Matt Chatham about this in a few minutes, just sort of seems, speaking of the weirdest offseason, just kind of seems it part adds and parcel. Another, it just adds another layer. Like, yeah. now, is he, a, I wanna, is he like, is he a bad apple? Is he just, you know, a bad pill? Is he another one of those locker room cancers, as they like to say? How many phrases can you add? I know, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm literally trying to go down into that. I don't know how gritty he is. Uh, Or is this just more telling signs of uh, how things have run afoul here? I think it's it's part of a little bit of the the whole aura that hangs over the franchise since the Super Bowl loss, and people feel emboldened to take right. shots and say, yeah, I, I saw some of that, you know, and, and they're kind of adding their voices to the mm-hmm. chorus. I think it reflects a little Patriots fatigue, which is un- undeniably out there. We already talked about it in terms of their uh, return throughout sure. the last four years to the Super Bowl. Now, riddle me this. Do you think that there is going to be any sort of hangover for the Patriots with the controversy surrounding the Malcolm Butler DNP, defensively speaking, the same way that Cliff Averill said this week on Dave Damashek's podcast for the NFL Network. Cliff Se- Averill, Seattle Seahawks. Se- former the, Seattle Seahawks, reti- now retired defensive end, former Lion and Seattle Seahawks defensive end, Cliff Averill, saying to Damashek that they really never got over the Super Bowl forty nine finish and that they believed that that cost them a dynasty because they would have gone back-to-back, and who knows how many more they could have won. But the demoralization that came with losing the game, the way 30 seconds it. left. Yeah, the way they lost it, uh, mildly famous Made finish. them doubt Pete Carroll's coaching. Yes. And so that, now is that going to happen here? That was the thread that started to get pulled that right. unraveled quite a bit in Seattle. First of all, I think it, it was obvious. I think I said it in the seconds after that game ended on a video that we had to cut a reaction for Sports Illustrated, which where I was working at the time. This is going to be a loss. It's going to haunt them for a long, long time. This is going to be a hard thing to get over with. Do I think it's going to be on a Seattle level? No. Do I think that there's going to be ramifications to this season in New England? Potentially, yes. And I think you already, again, we've already seen kind of around the edges some people asking questions or making statements uh, you di- you never saw players leave here, starting with even Danny Danny Amendola, and say the things they said after leaving New England. There's just been a little bit more of a, an emboldened, I'm going to speak up and and talk about what I saw and what I experienced. And it's not all negative, but I'm saying it feels like it's part of a a narrative that right. that keeps like drip by drip being built. Wow, winning really does. Winning is the greatest sell. Well, it covers everything. Winning, winning fixes everything. Yeah. Second, you lose a game like that, a game that most people thought you should have won, including and your that's own fans the key. and yourselves. That is the key. A game you should have won, a game that traditionally you found a way to win. Seattle was in the best possible position. New England thought it was in the best possible position. Ball in Brady's hands. You know, time time to score. When it didn't happen. It opened the door to all the other questions. But do I think it'll reach Seattle level? No. Do I think it's there and it's undeniable? Yes. I think yeah. there's some there's some backdrop there that will just be baked into the equation this year, I guess is the right way to say it. 
All right, one of the things, last Wednesday, if you recall, we, we um, had Bill Polian on to talk about the Alliance of American Football. I think I got that right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Since, since then, San Diego did indeed get that sixth franchise that we talked to Bill about. That was announced, I believe, yesterday. But more importantly, the, the Atlanta two-day owners meetings were ongoing when we talked and taped Bill Polian's interview uh, that Wednesday morning. And what happened Wednesday afternoon has kind of dominated a lot of the NFL headlines ever since, and that is the league did, uh, to my surprise, come out with a new anthem policy, um, one that looked reactive uh, to the the events of last fall. Um, without going too far down the rabbit hole, I wanted to find out what you thought. I you know, I actually think the players have, who have responded to it have been tempered, and for the most part, I really have found them to be pretty well-reasoned. Chris Long called it. He thought it was clumsy. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins called it unnecessary. Tory Smith worried that it's just going to stir things up. And my big takeaway is I do believe the league would have been far better to let this one go and do nothing and sometimes doing nothing is better than doing something i think they felt an urgency to do something and they took away a right that they had already granted which is never a good look now first thing people do is point to the nba and say it's against the rules in the nba well it is apples and oranges but also it's in their collective bargaining agreement so the players agreed before they signed their latest cba and there's a greater level of trust as well also i'd like to point out and remind people that the nba has guaranteed contracts so the nba so players in the nba may trust their league may appreciate their league ownership their union a bit more there seems to be a disconnect and greater level of distrust between nfl players and the league Sometimes now even on on the team level. I mean, you saw what happened in Houston last year, how some of the, the players walking out of practice, players right. ready to not, to not even show up and play a game on a Sunday. To step out and make this, now, it's a penalty? I mean, real, but could there be fines levied? Now you've got teams revolting, Don, yeah. against the league's policy. Uh, the Jets saying that they'll pay fines levied against their players if they choose to protest. Now, I work at a radio station during the day, and I get a lot of blue-class you know, a little blue collar workers who are happy about this. Yep. Guys who chime in and say, you know what? I don't get to protest where I work. Right. I can't take a knee. I can't, you know, well, first of all, I don't imagine that in a lot of machine parts or, you know, wherever you may drive that they play the anthem. It's it's the dragging in the mill. Ever since the DOD came in in 2009, the, the and, and this selling patriotism ideal, they have muddied the waters to a point now where they're trying to help us or trying to get us to, Look at these people as bad Americans just because they want to stage uh, a nonviolent civil momentary protest. Yeah. Peaceful protest is part of um, actually what America Uh, has been known for. And I think, you know, I don't agree with DeMora Smith, the NFL PA executive director, very often. I think he's actually had a pretty underwhelming tenure. But he he boiled it down for me. He said the new anthem policy is really about one thing, control over the players. And I think, again, everything is a backdrop looking ahead to the next CBA negotiation and trying to build trust between the league and the players so that we don't get another 2011 situation in 2021. And they went backwards on that front, I believe. I I thought they had some, some good momentum leaning forward. Obviously, they tried to interject some financial assistance into the causes that the players wanted to highlight with their peaceful protests. I think they've 
undone some of that goodwill now by, frankly, caving to the, the hardline right owners who said, we have to stand for this belief that it's bad for business. And first of all, I don't think there's any real proof yet definitively that it has been bad for business. I think that is a narrative that we've all kind of just assumed and taken hook, line, and sinker. I'm not sure uh, that they can prove that it has been bad for business. But there's an awful lot of people who now look at it, how you're making the players, you're forcing the players into something and saying if you want to make your pro your peaceful protest do it in the locker room when no one's watching and we we don't have to see it and that's uh, it's just a not great, a good look now it's a terrible look the fact that you don't have to look at it to me makes it the worst look of all because now instead of perhaps disagreeing with the peaceful protest but some of us still believe that that's their given right and many say that the they served for and fought for just that and some people see it as an ultimate sign of disrespect but now to basically i don't know ostracize these players to the locker room and and like okay, if you're gonna do it, we just don't want to see it. Well, now when those players come out, yeah. now there's twice the attention it's on because look, there's insert cornerback or defensive lineman here trotting out who wasn't there for the anthem. Oh, what's that? You don't love America? You couldn't come it, out for the anthem? It's it's not, gonna anger fans more. It's not thinking around the corner. It's like right. they they took an action that they thought was gonna put the focus back on football when I think in reality it could do just the opposite of what they were hoping to do. Correct. Yeah. And then that's. That's the kind of the quintessential definition of short-sighted and not not thinking it all the way through. And I think most I think there's some owners that probably have you know second thoughts already about the wisdom of the act that they took. And wasn't it not even an official vote? Wasn't you know, it a a, a show, show of show hands hand. at the yep. meetings last Seth week? Seth Wickersham reported that first of all it wasn't unanimous as the league announced. Jed York abstained, Mark Davis of the Raiders abstained. Uh, Christopher Johnson, as you pointed out, the Jets' um, current owner, um, said that he'll pay all the fines. He's not going to force his players into anything. So clearly there was not a unanimous. And that's I had done some reporting and written a piece the week before, and what I had heard was, yeah, there's three factions, and they're very far apart. And there, there's a middle, there's a right, and there's a left. And I don't see how those three get together. And I think what they did is they got in the room for two days – Part of three hours and two hours, five hours, maybe they talked about it and said, "We got to do something. We got to do something." That's killing us at the gate. And they it's did. They revenues did something. Are, are dropping. They did something, but I don't think what they did is going to have the desired effect. Um, you, you spoke about a bad week on social media. How about the uh, story that popped up? I think yesterday, Brian Colangelo, the director of basketball operations for the Seventy Sixers, Seventy Sixers, obviously the son of. Jerry Colangelo, longtime owner of the Phoenix Suns, I believe. Yep. Um, turns out he has uh, f- up to five fake Twitter accounts, what they call them burner accounts, yeah. where he can make comments mm-hmm. that he would never make and attach his own name, which gets you thinking, like, are there NFL executives or coaches or even players who go this route? Do you remember last year Goodell's wife All right. was caught Jane, with a burner account? Jane Goodell. Jane yep. Skinner Goodell. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, maybe we should start giving this guy a little more credit or paying him more respect, even though I know his his is not a very fond name around these parts. In a story by Seth Wickersham last year, he outed her. Right. I think her handle was uh, Leave Roger alone at four at four argument. Uh, yeah. Right. At Leave Roger alone. <laughs> I, 
Look, as my a, husband at my husband is not a clown. You all, you would always hope your spouse uh, sticks up for you, but I can see that the wisdom of that move was uh, uh, ill-conceived. What? But a burner account? How sensitive do you have to be? How thin-skinned do you need to be Pretty. to maintain multiple burner accounts? That must be, that must be tricky. Like, oh wait. Which handle am I using? Which Twitter sign-on am That's I using? That's exhausting keeping yeah. all that organized. Right? It'd be like having, frankly, you know, five uh, relationships outside of marriage or something. Right. It'd be very, very tricky to keep everything straight. Yeah, I can only keep two or three going <laughs> at a time. Five. And five. We're, and, we're, and we're walking. <laughs> um, That's, it's a, I mean, come on. But now people are, now what's happened, Don, is that uh, said can of worms being open leads other people to sort of want to sniff around like, boy, it seems this one particular account that came from out of nowhere really doesn't like this player. This, like, Are people trying to talk down draft stock? Are people trying to get contracts raised? Or are people just defending their own moves? Who would be the most likely NFL player? That Again, thin-skinned. Mm-hmm. I, I got one. Who? Ben Roethlisberger. That's might. just who I was Ben thinking. Roethlisberger might have a burner account. He's always a little concerned about the public perception. He's pretty quick. Aaron Rodgers would be a candidate, too. Let's be honest there. Think, you think Rodgers would? He's notoriously— I think Rodgers definitely would. Notoriously thin-skinned. In fact, as as Mike Florio on Pro Football Talks, he is—how um, <laughs> how does he put it? He's very sensitive about being called sensitive. Oh, uh, uh, okay. And so that makes you a prime candidate for this. How about John Elway? Think John Elway would have one? I could see it. Yeah, Somebody I don't know would if he's be defending the. He's he's on social media a little. He yep. yeah he tweets. Um, I could see him being a little defensive about you know maybe some of the quarterback moves. Right. Maybe uh, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, uh, some of the things that have not worked out for Mister Quarterback Guru since Peyton left. And then you've got guys like, uh, let's say, somebody who may not have, or who may be coming up to the level of expectation sometime soon, like a Blake Bortles, who has a fan club slash uh, random fact, like the Blake Bortles facts on Twitter, Wouldn't that it? are just super super fun. Like, why bother tweeting when somebody from a, a fake alt- alternate account actually does a better job than you? Wouldn't it be easier? The key to this is you just can't do it yourself. You just have to hire this out. You have to have a family member, a trusted family member be the one who has the account. You need plausible deniability here that you can never be traced. Like if Jerry, um, sorry, if, if um, Brian Colangelo mm-hmm. had five, but they were all family members and he dictated to him what he wanted written, right? same effect, and yet he doesn't have to take the hit. Wouldn't it make so much more sense the way, let's say, a Tom Brady, who has been in the news, maybe not as much as he would like in recent week, has his family run his Facebook. They do the videos. Right. They do his IG posts. You know, I'm sure he hops on every now and again and likes pictures of the for- that former teammates and current teammates post. But you have, think- your fam- have your family run it. Uh, what did I think about his time in Monaco? What did you think about the oh, boat? I've never wanted to be in an all-white outfit more in my life. How many takes that did boat? that? How the many takes? Boat. Come on. How many? What's the over-under on how many oh, takes? Tom Brady, one. Three. What? Three? I say three. I'd take the over. I I say it took three. Do you know, that's kind of that's harder than it looks. I well, was, guys, we would. Do you think? Hold on. We would see footballs floating in the canal. Now wait then. a minute. You think no. they're going to pay a diver to jump? No wait Tom a minute. Tom missed one. Jump down, get it. What if the receiver dropped the first two? 
Because he and who and who was the receiver? I don't know who was that. Is that Kev? A soccer player, Kev. I'm not sure. I thought it was a soccer a little, player. It's a little Amendola looking dude. He he kind of he looked was. Like, he was a little. Do- I, think like, I, I think that's why Brady did. He's like I missed throwing to the Dola. I think his name had to be Giorgio, the the guy he threw to. <laughs> sure. He looked like he was in one of those men's fragrance ads uh, that you find in the middle of like Vanity, exactly Vanity Fair or something. Uh, I I say, <laughs> I say that was a very Brady esque little video. First of all, just the, the the setting, the look. Was it again a little message back to while while you guys are going through? Okay, OTAs? It was a Formula One driver. Okay, Formula One. Driver. Oh, and Monaco Grand Prix champion. So, so his name could have been Giorgio Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, Daniel Ricciardo. Standing on a separate yacht, catching the ball from Brady. That did not look like Brady. an OTA session to me. I mean, but here's here's what you know. I'm just going to respect. The, we'll call it the FU to OTAs game that Brady is playing right That's now. That's a lot of letters. FU OTA. FU the FU OTAs game Brady is playing right now. I I respect because it's so overt now at this point. I mean, we already know Tom Brady lives in a different world, you know, and that he he has a life that he represents Aston Martin. Uh, some of his brands obviously are a little, you know, they're they're one percent. The diet brow. he eats, yeah, it's very, it's a very highbrow life. High He's brow. married to the most famous model in the world. But that said, when other guys are grinding back home, flipping patties on Memorial Day weekend, you're standing on this beautiful like mahogany wood yacht in Monaco, wearing a, all white, in a promo video for Tag Heuer, throwing a football to a Grand Prix champion to a. The, the richest Life racing doesn't get much better yeah. than that. Oh. This isn't even, mind you, this is not even. <laughs> this is, I love it. This is not even sipping mint juleps with five of your teammates no. at the Derby. This is not, gee, I get to be the guy that waved the flags at right. the Indy 500 on Memorial Day weekend. You're still in Indianapolis there. Yeah. This is on a boat. And I've been there, and trust me, you know you're still in Indianapolis. <laughs> this is on a boat in Monaco, and you you basically look like, um, I don't know. You you look like young Onassis. Yeah, you, know? you look like the king of the world. Yeah. Kevin, you said before we started rolling, you were like, if I had a chance to either be helm practice my 19th yeah. OTAs or... Uh, and, and have my, like, beautiful supermodel wife with me probably in Monaco and yeah. hit the beach or... Yeah, she so, can stay home. So Brady might have lost the Super Bowl, Good but time I for say, a second wife I say Brady still wins uh, this offseason. Oh, that's even a, with the loss. Oh, Tom Brady's setting a bad example. You know, he used to be uh, here. Let me pull up what he said about OTA six years ago. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, Tom Brady's setting a bad example. There's an, an entire stadium full of stuff that Belichick will soon take down so that they don't see it. All about how there's banners everywhere. It's all about winning. We've got former players saying that the Patriots have lost. It's so unfun that they would consider quitting football. Well, for those who actually grind it out, it looks pretty enjoyable. And I don't think Tom Brady needs to be here to do a damn thing. Go out and live that best life. I still say I've got a $50 Starbucks gift card if you, for anyone who could find outtakes and how many throws it took. Three or four. That's my guess. Three or four outtakes. I only drink Dunkin', so I'm not participating. <laughs> <laughs> I want the Monaco outtakes, and I want the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross leads. The how many, leads. Oh, then how many passes did it take for him to throw on the Great Wall of China and hit his son? Do you think that was a three or four taker, the Under Armour last summer? I didn't see that. You didn't see that no. one? No, so I'm going to have to see it first before. Yeah, I... last summer he did that big tour in China with with Under Armour. Right. And he threw his oldest boy, is that Jack or Ben? Jack, uh, I think. Jack. Uh, threw him a pass on the Great Wall of China. Speaking of passes being thrown, Brandon Marshall off the market to the Seattle Seahawks. 
Still no Des Bryant deal, and Brandon Marshall right? is getting snapped up. Is that an in- indication that Des has zero market, or are we just looking at teams waiting for an injury? I mean, h- how do you read it when teams say they're they're into thirty four year old Brandon Marshall before they are what thirty thirty one year old twenty nine year old Des Bryant? Wow. I th- wow, Brandon Marshall still looked like he had game left in him compared to yeah, at De- times De- at times. It, it, but he, he, well, actually, he had a couple of brutal drops yes, the last couple did. of years. Yeah, yes. the hands may not be, the body may still be there. The mind is still right, but the hands may not be following. I'm guessing he can't do the uh, inside the NFL on HBO or on Showtime anymore. Maybe he'll Skype it in out in Seattle. Seattle. Maybe he'll Skype it out. In Maybe Seattle. take a year off. Now, if you're Des, do you see him sign? Does that aggravate you? Do you maybe even follow a guy like that, just where you know that there's a, uh, a little more? I don't because if De- I can't imagine that Dez thinks I can still go be a number one, why not just go someplace where there's more talent and you can play the volume game? Yeah, I don't know. I think you know, in a lot of ways, it makes sense because what there's very little at receiver in Seattle, um, right? I mean, yeah, they lost Paul Richardson to Washington. Him. You still have Tyler Lockett. You still have Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin, but very little. Yeah, I mean, but that's so, a bunch of small guys. Yeah. They don't have, and they lost their tight end, who went to Green Bay, which is still where I thought Des was going to end up. Uh, Jimmy odds Graham. with Jimmy Graham in Green Bay, I still thought that's where Des would end up. What do you think the odds are at the end of it all? Des just ends up back in Dallas. No way. No, I think Bridge Jerry, burned. Jerry already, Jerry already slammed that door tight, and I and I think. They are playing a little bit of um, good cop, bad cop with him. Like, there's quotes coming out of the organization about how he had lost a step. He he wasn't winning in, on routes anymore, wasn't as competitive for the ball. And then Jerry and Stephen Jones have been over the top. You know, we're huge Dez fans. We'll help him any way we can. But well, that was I, the clearest vote for Dak. He and Dak just never meshed. Yeah, I agree. I think they thought this wasn't a good fit. Um, for whatever reason, Romo and Dez were a match and and De- and Dak and uh, Dez have not been. All right, we're going to switch gears now and talk to Matt Chatham, the former Patriots special teamer, linebacker, and a uh, constant media presence in this market. A familiar name to all Patriots fans. Also uh, has many many different gigs. Nesson in studio NFL analyst. You've seen him on Patriots this week which I get to have a small role in as well. Has his own podcast, The Real Thing Patriots Podcast, and also uh, does some uh, college football analyst work for ESPN all fall. Matt, welcome to the Cover 2 Podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, Thanks for having me on, guys. Wanted to dive in a little bit. Obviously, one of the headlines on a somewhat slow Memorial Day weekend, uh, former Patriots defensive end Cassius Marsh had some things to say Um basically fell fell into the narrative that the Patriots are the no-fun league. They don't have any fun um, because they do it the Patriot way, and the rest of the league um, has all the fun. This is obviously echoing somewhat, uh, I believe it was Mr. Kelsey, the Eagles center, who first kind of struck this story uh, into our consciousness that the Patriots— Lane Johnson— Oh, it was Lane Johnson? Lane Johnson, don't, don't like him. Uh, oh. Jason Kelsey more spoke to about uh, the love of his grandfather. That's kind right. of went off the rails there. My but, bad. Lane Johnson yeah. basically started this storyline saying that the Patriots don't have any fun. The Eagles were having the fun. Matt, as somebody who's played in New England, I, I just wanted to get your take. Is it 
Is it fun anywhere in the league if you're say if you're eight and eight, nine and seven, year after year? Let's say you're the Chargers. Let's say a, a good but never great team. Is there fun to be had in that situation, or is it strictly uh, a, a part of what is perceived to be a very rigid uh, play by the rules, uh, do it our way type of mentality in Foxborough? I mean, this is in part on just talking to other friends and other guys that have played around around the league as I play with guys that I've gotten to know much better since retirement. But there are certainly places that have a more collegial feel. You know, it's sort of the rah rah kind of thing and everyone gets patted on the back and you're told you're awesome even when you're okay. And you know, there's there's a bit of BS to that that kind of approach. And, and to be honest, it's it's not as if there's a one right way. I don't think anyone who's been around here who's enjoyed it in New England and appreciated it thought that this is the only way it can be done. There's obviously organizations like Seattle that have an entirely different feel inside the building than we ever had in New England. And and I, I can say this from, from experience as a rookie, as a young guy who was, you know, like just there in St. Louis uh, with Dick Vermeil. We were there. My my first rookie training camp was following the camp uh, where I believe it was Isaac Bruce and some of the other uh, veterans had actually walked out of, of, of practices in week 17 or whatever it was at the end of the year coach Ramil was doing three hour full padded practices right. towards the end of a season that he, he was he year. was killing them he was killing yeah. them. he was killing them and that was like a huge off-season story that they had walkouts and they weren't you know kind of what they're saying it's not fun around here we had this is supposed to be fun and and i that was my rookie training camp you know <laughs> coach Ramil's basically rebuttal to that off-season gripe going oh good lord <laughs> I, I want to tell about the the least amount of fun I ever had in a football uniform it was at that Rams training camp in 99. And what they do that year, they won the Super Bowl. I mean, so, you know, all these things are all sort of shades of gray. It all goes away when you win. And I think that's probably the biggest message here. Uh, it's not just, you know, everyone on a team that wins will be happy because there was a team win. Another element to this is when you're playing well. And when you play poorly, you're not happy. In the NFL, if you're a competitor at any level, and I think that's why it struck me as, wow, man, Cash should really, you know, I'm not one to go out and bag on a guy and try to, you know, shovel dirt on them after they've been released. But that's one guy should have been complaining about his experience. Uh, he didn't live up to the billing, and he didn't play his role very well at all, and that's not really a subjective thing. You just watch the film. If you're an edge setter, you have to set the edge. If you're going to be the edge of a pocket as a rusher, you have to be able to set it, especially if you're not getting home. Those are all basic things, and you know you could set that film down that he had on paper for the world to see, or on film for the world to see, for two months' time, and that's not something that most edge players in the NFL would want their name attached to. That's just the reality of it. But I think the adult way to handle it is to be thankful for the opportunity, quietly, privately, maybe publicly if you want to acknowledge that you didn't take advantage of the opportunity, and be just grateful as all heck that you went to San Francisco and played pretty decently for the end of the year and got a new chance. But the firebomb, the place you left, when you played that poorly, I mean, it, it, to the level of embarrassment where just the, the lay fan who's just watching it, trying to figure out who this guy is that's playing on the ground as they run around the edge, you got to know that that's you on film and the world gets to see it. So it just comes off as really unaccountable to point the finger back at the team. It's one thing if you're out there knocking out of the park and you're winning and all those things and you say, hey, that place wasn't fun. Way different story. And again, I still think, you know, most vets wouldn't do that. There's, you look at the NFL, there's, you know, however many hundreds of people that changed the dresses this last year. It's, it's part of the league. How many came out and did what this guy did? <laughs> you know, grab a microphone in May and go after the team where you just, 
you fail. You fell, you fell on your face. I mean, there's a there's plenty of pictures and memes out there of the particular instance. So it's just not very mature to do that. It's just not very accountable. Um, if I'm sitting there in San Francisco and I'm a position coach, I'm half wondering, what's going to happen if this guy has a bad game? Is he going to point the finger back at me? You know, if this guy can't set the edge here either or starts failing on some of the stuff we ask of him, was it our fault? You know, is it is it the level of fun that Shanahan provides in the building? No, it's not that. I mean, at the end of the day, you're accountable to do your job, and when you don't, yeah, you say it's not fun. Is that really the reason, or is it something else? Yeah, Matt, that uh, gee whiz, what what a shock. A guy that's tatted like a Jackson Pollock painting from neck to ankles, that he's not going to be accountable, that there's going to be a level of uh, uh, maturity issues with him. I, I always thought it was an awkward and a bad fit from Jump Street, and obviously there's a piece this week on ESPN uh, from Mike Reese about how badly the Patriots miscalculated, which they don't seem to often do. Lewis Riddick had a, a good tweet about this as well. He said... Uh, Bill Belichick is not for everyone. I've lived it. But if winning means everything to you, there's nobody in professional football better equipped to help you achieve that goal. End of story. You had a good tweet about it. Shane McClellan even came out and said, since I've been asked so much, yes, my time in New England was fun. I had an absolute blast. Everyone has their own unique experience, and it might not turn out the way they would like. But for me, it was special. So what what is the disconnect? Is he, is he just like a, a sour grape? Is he a bad apple? Or it, did Bill Belichick think that maybe he was getting another you or Vrabel or Ninkovich, guys who not only come in and thrive in this situation, but also end up sticking around? These guys, you, you guys are part of the community now. You work in Patriots media. Ninkovich is everywhere. Matt Light obviously going to the Pats Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I'm just surprised by what a miscalculation it was. Yeah, and I, I think one of the difficult things when you're you're getting a vet who had had some promising moments in Seattle, you know, he's he was sort of that not part of the regular rotation, but when he gets in there, he looks like he can do some things, and he's hungry for a greater role, and the team would love to find a new way to use him more in Seattle, but just doesn't look like he's going to break through. Uh, those kind of guys are appealing to other teams, in part from what you see on film, uh, and you sort of take the interpretation of I want more, I want more, is that they'll be able to handle more and that they'll be able to do all the things that the defense calls for, not just a minor role. Right. I mean, I, I, I was that guy, really. I mean, I was here throughout my career. First, initially, it was Willie McGinnis and Chris Slade. I'm the third guy, just rotating, getting some defensive reps and playing a lot of special teams. And then after that, it's Raves and Willie, uh, you know, through the six years I was here. So, and then Roosevelt come, Colvin comes in and it's part of that rotation. So, when you're the rotational guy, when you're the extra adding guy, you got to be able to do all the things that the defense calls for. In part, he was looking for, and a lot of guys do this, this is very normal, you know, you're looking for the bigger role, you're going to go to the other place, you trade it, okay, now it's going to be expanded. Well, if you then sort of rationalize what they should have done with you as something very limited, well, that's not a bigger role. The role idea is I should just be a pass rusher, I, I was a rusher in college or whatever, well, he was a much heavier guy, 280, 290, I think, is at points in college. And it was really thin when he was here. He looked like a 240-pound or lower guy. He was skinny. And if your argument is at that weight in the, in the low 40s, you're, as an edge player, you're not going to cover a back at <laughs> 240? You're not, you're not Mario Williams. <laughs> You've got to be able to do the defense. There's no defense that says this will be a pass. We guarantee it, pal. You won't have to play run. Or you won't have to cover, you know, just a little running back out in the back, you know, out of the flats. I mean, that's, that's silly. What would defense exist like that? If it does, it's really easy to to score upon as the Patriots tended to pick those kind of teams apart. So I think it, part of it's just unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. That's, that's not what you get in the league. You know, you're going to have to do more than just one thing. 
And uh, if you come here and are unwilling to do it and, and even do the one thing not so well, you won't be here long. Matt, this might be a, a reach as an observation. I want to get your your thoughts on it, though. It seems to me that this Marsh's comments kind of play into a little bit of just, I don't know, the overall Patriots fatigue that there might be out there. And I, and I don't mean within the organization or within their fan base, but the rest, the rest of the league. Do you see it as just kind of a, a little tiny point in that um, – um, you know, and then in that tapestry, if you stand back far enough, people are just this team has been on top for so long. Yeah, I think it can be part of it. And, and to be honest, Don, it's not. You know, this is a new. Uh, it, it's new for a guy that was in and out so quickly to you know get a microphone and be allowed to expand that much on this. So it becomes news, especially this time of year. But it's really been a couple of years of you know you spend the off seasons and you can flip over to NFL Network or. or one of the other big networks or whatever. And a lot of the discussion is how can we beat New England? I mean, a lot of the analysts and four players are pretty open about that. They're, they're the target. They're going to be up there again. Even if they didn't win the last one, they're now Vegas favorites again and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, even as an analyst, that stuff gets tiring. You know, it's like, oh, here we go again. You know, so I, I think there is a fatigue just that they're always there. And, I mean, even with a very uh, emotional, disappointing loss that they have, they retool. And I think most people expect them to be at least in the story towards the end again. And, Part of it is, yeah, sort of looking for a reason for them to be gone. Is it? It's not fun there. I right. Mean, I, to me, that just feels a little bit like reaching. But yeah, I, I can completely understand it. They're, they're hoping for some sort of expose that Cassius Marsh says that, and then obviously I'm exaggerating and they're making this up. And Devin McCourty comes out and says the same thing, or Deion Lewis says the same thing, or Brady comes out and says this place is terrible. I want, you know, of course that's not happening. So I think it's it's trying to take one player who was in and out the door, like you know, pretty quickly. Uh, and sort of projecting that throughout an entire organization that's about so much more than him. So it's, I, it's, I don't put a lot of stock in it. It's funny. It's not entirely different than the, the fatigue level that we're now feeling for Cavs-Warriors, you know, a four-star exactly. year. Exactly. Instead of exactly. celebrating, like, this great rivalry, we're saying, oh, them again. You know, we got to suffer through another seven-game series or another series NBA Finals of them. It's not unlike that uh, that, that level of fatigue as well. Right. No, and it, I, I put me in that list. I, I actually was back in the day, loved a good Bulls series, and I grew up, you know, sort of in, you know, I'm in Iowa, so we're kind of without a team, and I just remember that feeling of being on the other side. I loved right. it. It was just the, 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 the intrigue was who it would be opposite. It was the Utah series or whoever else happened to be on the other side. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. But I think there's just a different kind of fan that doesn't want to stay to see the same thing over and over again, and I kind of get that, but. I think part of what feeds into all this is the amount of time we have to talk about it, and you know, Amen. how many more times? How many more times can you talk about in March and April about these things before anyone would reasonably get sick of it? All right, Matt. So we are uh, at time of recording. T minus ninety nine days away from football. Obviously, you mentioned earlier real Ve- football, real football, the football that counts. Uh, and you know, you mentioned earlier Vegas has the Pats as a favorite. FPI index, they're eighteen percent. Uh, favorites, whatever, to make the Super Bowl win it all. Uh, who, just from where we are, fourteen weeks out, um, who do you like so far? You know, just give us a little take on um, who whose moves you like, uh, who may surprise a few people, and why. Uh, you know, where, where there's a lot of smoke, but probably not going to be a lot of fire. Well, I, well, I'll first stick with the Patriots. I think one thing that's that's has been a real fundamental change to me is is a lot of sort of the new personalities over on the defensive side of the ball, and I think it's easy to forget about that. Because there's been so many other off-season, off-field kind of focus, hot-takey stuff going on, but I really think that this this defense should resemble more of what I think they thought last year was going to be. 
until you had the injuries, until you had a couple of the other setbacks. And uh, the addition of Danny Shelton, I think, is huge. Uh, I've sort of jokingly referred to this on Nesson as kind of a football crush on uh, Adrian Claiborne. I've always liked him since the end of the league. There's a bias series from the he played at the University of Iowa. Yes, back he is. In my home state. So uh, he's the kind of guy that reminds me a little bit of Jarvis Green uh, back in the day because he's not he's not three he's not three ten he's not Richard Seymour he's down a notch on that in height and overall body weight but he's the super versatile can move all around the line a little bit of tackle a little bit of end maybe it's not going to be a fifteen sack guy but he's going to do a lot he's going to do a lot of good things little things for your defense I always liked Adrian Claiborne you know again that's back as a fan even as a Hawkeye so. Uh, I, I like those two additions. Obviously, with Hightower back, one of the best in the business. When he's there, and you assume, presume his health, I just think that really changes the face of the defense. Danny and Malcolm can play. Now you've got two real true inside guys if you're going to do four-man line stuff. And it, 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 no, neither of those guys are super up the field, push the pocket kind of guys. It's more hold ground, separate, no run game. And I think, I think in part, I mean, it's never with Coach Belichick's thing to okay, we played terribly in this particular aspect of the Super Bowl, go get a guy that resolves that, because now it's a new game. But I do also look and say, wow, they gave up almost seven yards to carry. This is almost 160 or 70 yards on the ground. And that was a glaring thing, something that hadn't been a problem for them since at least September. And uh, you go get one of the better run defensive inside guys, whose value is down a little bit because he doesn't have the upfield stuff that pays more. So uh, I thought that was pretty intriguing. You bring him a McCourty, you bring in a veteran presence, uh, and you get both of them now. Guy that's super experienced, played in every scheme, is going to be really solid at, this other, at the other corner spot. Derek Rivers comes back. We were all loving what he was showing in the, in the small time we saw him last camp. I still think that uh, Lange, Lange, Harvey Lange can be, can be a player. I really liked him in camp, too, especially in, in one year. One of my buddies from out, at the, out in Utah was, had been pumping him up through college and said, man, there's a priority free agent that can really play. You know, He's not going to test well. He's not, people aren't going to love him for that part of it. But once you get him in your system, watch this guy. And he had a couple really nice games in the preseason and unfortunately had the car accident. But the, the, the overall theme of all this is there's like eight or nine names there. I mean, there are a lot of guys that are going to be a part of that unit that just didn't have anything to do with it a year ago. And that's pretty unusual for a Patriots team. Usually you're talking about turnover of two, three, four people. That, that could be a whole new you know, majority on the field this year. Yeah, that's like an entirely new defense altogether there, too. I know. I, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm apt to want to pump their tires, too, but I think the Pats defense is going to be completely new look, and I can't wait to see him in just a couple of weeks. Uh, we've been joined by Matt Chatham, a great follow on Twitter, at Chatham58, works for Nesson, of course, uh, does some work here with the Patriots as well, and you can listen to his podcast, The Real Thing Patriots podcast on blogtalkradio.com. Awesome. Matt, thanks for the time today. All the best. All right, guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Nice of Matt to join us. Those were the takes. Those were the feelings that I thought he was going to bring. Matt uh, has a great, like I said, he's got a great follow at Chatham58. And he takes a very level-headed approach oftentimes to picking apart, dissecting, deconstructing things people say when they predictably fly off the handle. Now, normally it's on social media. Not often is it in print media from a former player. I think that's exactly what we just heard right there. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. The point I liked was that he does not believe Bill Belichick will often, quote-unquote, overreact to something that happened in a Super Bowl, um, obviously a loss in this case, but that the Danny Shelton move clearly addresses one of the flaws that we saw exposed that day in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you have to project that you're getting the Danny Shelton, who was a high first-round pick by Cleveland, 
and not the guy who's kind of underachieved. Patriots love reclaiming a lot of other people's failed first-round draft picks. Right. And it's not that Shelton was a failed first-round draft pick in Cleveland. It may just not be a scheme fit. The same way Cassius Marsh wasn't a scheme fit in, in, in New England. He's, just, he's a one-note rusher. He went out and right. had better stats in just a few games with San Francisco and got rewarded an absurd two-year, $7.7 million contract as John Lynch continued his... Friend of friend of the pod, John yes, Lynch. Yes, I'm sure he's a fabulous guy. I think he's done a little drunken sailor spending this offseason. <laughs> but, good, you know, good for them. If that's yep. where he fits, if that's where it works, that's fine. But to when you're already out of town, shoot your way further out of town, right. burn the bridge, and, and talk about demanding a meeting and begging to be cut. I mean... That's a little self. Uh, what, what do you call that? Rewriting history, basically. Yes. You know, right? That's a little historical revisionism, right there. It, it, it's it, Matt's underlying point, and I think it's true. It, one thing, if he'd have come out and tore up, and right. then he said, "I didn't enjoy it there." You know, they play with a certain um, organizational mindset that it doesn't fit my personality, or it doesn't fit. Oh, you mean they don't like to freestyle? I'm no a, freelancing. I'm a free spirit, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and really. Falling in line is rewarded there. If he just said that, a lot of people have said... Or, you yeah. know, covering Kareem Hunt maybe once out of the backfield in the opening game. I don't know. Just, I mean, just some thoughts. It is true. Even Bill Belichick will admit, you know, this program in New England is not for everyone. It's <laughs> I don't, They don't bill it as the few, the proud. But, um, you know, they don't, they don't look for players to freelance they're right. looking for a certain kind of player who will quote do their job right we talked about it too you know there are the guys that when it works not only does it does it click but they end up wanting to stick around they become parts they become pillars of the community and the team yep. and there are guys like him that just can't wait to get out of town it isn't for everyone yeah so i mean Adelius, then don't bitch about Adelia, it, Th- Adelius thomas remember that oh, signing yeah. in 07 right? five for 35 million played one good year and then woo. was never the player really, that he was in Baltimore and didn't seem to enjoy it here, you know? So this this happens every so often. It's 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 happened down through the Patriots. What if Belichick saw history. he was available and said, hey, Pete, uh, you know, if uh, if Marsh doesn't have a spot in your roster, I uh, think he'll fit here and Pete Carroll's still still mad like Cliff Averill over Super Bowl four. Oh, yeah, Bill, uh, Marsh will be great. They probably couldn't wait to get rid of him. Yeah, got five, A five and a seven is a lot of capital to burn for somebody who's who's basically a wash after three games and is cut after nine. Now he's back in the NFC West. We're fine. God, good good luck. God bless. He also had some comments about Jimmy G, did he not? Oh, said that Jimmy G, yeah, that's right. He also said that Jimmy G that. used to regularly shred right. the Patriots' defense in practice last year. Uh, Cassius, who was on that defense that Jimmy G would regularly shred? You, pal. Yeah. Well, yeah. so he, he should know. He, so he, he really should. He, I used to get picked apart all the time by Garoppolo. He really should know. All right, we're going to wrap it there for this week's Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Thanks for giving us a listen yet again this week. So we're at May 30th. We're 99 days away from the NFL regular season. But long before that, we'll have the training camp uh, opening in late July. Our uh, thanks to Matt Chatham, once again, our guest this week on the podcast June is right around the corner, and we'll be back next week talking NFL football and whatever else comes to our mind. Thanks for uh, sharing an hour with us.
Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.